Oftentimes, we can get to a place of complacency in the church. We can be very comfortable where we are, but God has challenged us as believers in the body of Christ to step out of our comfort zone and expand His kingdom. This series is about submitting to God's will and vision for the church, being completely dedicated, heart and soul. Everybody good? You excited? Did your team win yesterday? The big question. Did your team win? Yes. Yes. All right. Either Georgia won, Georgia Southern won. If you cheer for anybody other than that, we need to pray for you anyway, right? Because both of those guys won, so that's awesome. Um, and very, very excited to be with you today. Glad that, uh, man, we, we saw God do so much through that A Better Story series. And I know um, for me it was very impactful even going through it again, and I pray that it was for you too. Um, and today I'm excited about starting this Heart and Soul series where we're going to really look at um, the heart of God, but also the heart that God's putting in us as a church and as a group of people. Um, you know, the church is not a building. It's a, it's a group of believers. It's a body of believers. And what's he calling us to do as a church? Um, what's Jesus' heartbeat for us? What's he calling us to do? And we're going to do that. I'd also encourage you, if you haven't been through our foundations class, um, it's, it starts up again um, next, next Sunday. Go by our next steps table and sign up for that. Um, whether you are a new believer or you've been a believer for 40 years, it will help you. It, it, one, it shores up our foundation on Christ, but it also tells you um, who we are as a church. And so we want everybody to know, like if this is your church, we want you to be a part of that. That's what you're going to hear a lot about today. And we want you to be a part of this. And that's a great place for you to go get plugged in. Um, heart and soul is what we call the members of this church. Um, we don't want people just to sit in pews. Like, um, we don't want people's name just on a list. We believe that the church is called to be a body of believers who are running after Jesus and pursuing the things that Jesus loves, um, namely lost people. And that's what we're about is making disciples and then, um, discipling them and seeing them grow up. Um, so we want you to be a part of that. Um, through everything, through all the people who are heart and soul, um, and we saw two more salvations last Sunday. What an awesome thing to see what God's doing. We should celebrate that. That's awesome. Um, so far this year, because people are willing to um, be sold out followers of Christ, we've seen 67 people give their life to Jesus. And we've had over um, 100 and I think we had 117 baptisms um, this year. People going public and saying, yes, I, uh, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm giving my life to him. Um, and so it's awesome to see that happen. I believe we're just on the beginning of that. Um, heart and soul comes from uh, first, first Samuel 13, verse 6 and 7. Um, we're not actually preaching out of that today, but um, that is where um, Jonathan, Saul's son, Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel is God's people, um, his chosen people back in that day. And uh, they, they, they are uh, being attacked. They're constantly at war with a group called the Philistines, another tribe. And so Jonathan um, sees some Philistines. He knows some Philistines are, are uh, just a little ways um, across the hill, across the valley, in the country, right, over yonder, as we would say, down here. Um, and so he looks at his armor bearer, who was his kind of right-hand man. He kept guarded his back and, and fought with him. He looks at his armor bearers, just the two of them. There's a bunch of Philistines. And he looks at his armor bearer, and he says, let's go over and let's attack those Philistines. Perhaps God will give them into our hands. And the armor bearer looks at Jonathan, knowing that the odds are steep, knowing that this is going to be something that only God can do. And he says, do all that you have in mind, for I'm with you, heart and soul. And so heart and soul is what we call people who were willing literally to storm the gates of hell together with water pistols. You know what I mean? It's like, no matter what comes against us, we're going to run together. I've got your back. You've got my back and we're going to go and we're attacking the gates of hell, knowing that Jesus has our back and knowing that he's going to bring some people into the light. And so that's what it's all about. This morning, what I want to do is I want to pray for us, and then we're going to get into the message. Um, and, and my prayer is that today you'll hear our heart, that you'll understand um, that we want something for you, not from you. That, that, that you'll understand that we want to see a group of believers come together, heart and soul, willing to do whatever it takes, and run um, to the glory of Jesus and transform this community, transform um, this world through the power of Jesus. I, I, listen, you can think I'm crazy. I truly, truly, truly believe God will and is going to do that through us. I believe that. Not just through us, but through his church, the Big C Church. And um, I, I'm just, I just believe that. God has given me faith 
to believe that. So let's pray and let's jump in. God, we thank you so much for today and the opportunity we have, God, to be a part of your kingdom. God, I pray that today we'd be enveloped and filled and just consumed by your spirit, God. I thank you that you are a jealous God. I thank you, God, that you want us to have no gods other than you. And I thank you that you call us to yourself. God, help us to see once again your glory. And out of that glory, help us to give our lives, heart and soul to you and to one another, that you may be glorified. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start today. I got a letter here and I I want to read it to you. It's a little bit long. It's painful. The content of this letter is is painful. Um, And here's the thing I would tell you. As I read this letter, it's important for you to let me to get to the end of the letter before you make any assumptions, okay? Before you, you, you let your mind run with this letter, you, we've got to get to the end of it because the last four words of this letter will indicate a lot. Let me just say that, okay? It will indicate a lot. So I'm going to read this letter, wait to the end, okay? Five years ago, I stood in front of a group of people and cast a vision for a church that would reach those disconnected from God in creative new ways. We didn't want to be just another church. Our community had enough churches already. Our vision was to become a new dynamic expression of first century believers, a church that would reach those who had not darkened the doors of the church of, or the doors of a church in a while or maybe ever. The mission of Connection Church was to connect disconnected people into a dynamic relationship with Jesus. In many ways, we saw this happen. Many people gave their lives to Christ. Many returned to the church and to their relationship with God after years of stagnation. People were baptized. Kids found out that Jesus loves them and wants to walk with them throughout their lives. Marriages were restored. Gifts were used for the kingdom. Disciples were made. I'm very proud and humbled to have been a part of those things. Why does this have to come to an end? There are a lot of factors I could point to, but there are three primary things that have happened. Number one, finances. We have struggled financially for quite a while. In fact, it is probably simply by God's grace we have made it this far. We have done a lot with smoke and mirrors due to a lot of creative ingenuity by gifted staff and volunteers. The financial realities have caught up with us, however. You can only cut so much before you start to cut where it hurts and where it cripples the organization from accomplishing the mission. Number two, attendance. While we have seen new faces practically every Sunday in the church's existence, we were unable to grow at a healthy clip enough to sustain the ministry, to increase our volunteer base, and to see giving levels come to a healthy place. A church plant like ours, meeting in a rented facility, doing setup and teardown every week, needs to see a healthy amount of growth in order to sustain the effort. It doesn't have to be lightning fast growth, but enough to see overall movement happening. We can never reach the critical mass that we needed to build on. Number three, vision. We're at a point where the vision for a church that will reach unchurched is being compromised. To creatively and effectively reach lost people takes ample resources. When you start to cut them and not add to them, you undermine the vision we were called to. You drift. Being just another nice church is not, is simply not an option I want to consider. It was never on the table for Connection Church. The relationships that Susan, the kids, and I are taking from this will last a lifetime. Relationships that don't have to end, and I'm confident that for us, many of these are just beginning. We have been blessed by the people of Connection Church in more ways than I could possibly explain. We are confident that God is at work, that He knew this was coming, and that He is doing good out of it. We're approaching the ending of this church with a small C as a new beginning for all of us. My prayer is that it will help those who have called Connection Church home to make an even bigger impact for the church, capital C, in the coming days. We approach our last gathering not as a funeral service, but as a commissioning. We are sending, not burying. We commission missionaries into the world to share Christ, to use their gifts for the advancement of the kingdom of God, to live as Jesus' followers in a broken world in need of the Savior. As I see it, the failure is not that this church has come to an end. The failure would be if we didn't approach the next leg of our journey as passionate, committed, obedient Christ followers, ready to see God move in miraculous and life-giving ways, and ready to be part of that wherever it takes us. I consider it one of the highest privileges of my life to have served as the lead and founding pastor of Connection Church. I am sad to see this chapter of my life end. I'm also extremely hopeful about the future and looking forward to what God has for us next. The last four words of the letter, in Christ Gerald Law. Anybody know Gerald Law? Me either. But he wrote this letter. And we found this letter online four years ago. 
It was from a church in Lake Norman, North Carolina. Is that not creepy? Even down to his wife's name. His wife's name was Susan. He had kids. Four years ago, we found this letter. And actually, if you've been around for a while, as some of you have, you've heard this letter before. I read it before. Because when we found it, I was astounded. And we were um, really less than a year old. And when we found it, my, my chief goal was like, we got to make it five years, right? That can't be the curse, right? That, 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 this, that we're not going to make it. And I remember thinking, we can't become this, right? We can't be this. But the reality of it is we can be this. We can be. And I identified about four different things that this church failed to do that led to the failure of the church. The first one is that they failed to create community. They brought people in and people drifted through, but they never found community together. The second one is they failed to see people move from consumers to contributors through serving. People weren't giving um, their time and their energy to the church to see it grow, to grow the, the body of Christ. The third one is that people didn't give sacrificially. They didn't have the resources needed to fund the ministry. To carry out the vision of God, every vision has to be funded. And the fourth one is that people wouldn't follow the vision of their leaders. They weren't willing to follow the people that God had put in their life to help point them consistently to Jesus and to the mission of the church. The question I wanted to ask you, and and I didn't read that um, just for shock. That's why I tried to tell you up front, wait to the end, right? The reason I read this letter is because I want it to stir a question in you. I want it to challenge you. And I want you to ask yourself, does this church matter to me? I understand that some of you are here for the first time. You're like, not really. I'm just here. I heard some music and I don't know. Yeah. And you don't even. Okay, that's cool. But for those who've been here, does the church matter to you? Has it made an impact in your life? And probably even greater question would be, does the church matter to this community? Does it matter to this community? If this church just disappeared, if all of a sudden it was like, you know, we all got abducted by aliens and and we just disappeared, would it matter to the community? Would they care? I think for the 67 people who've been baptized or who've been saved and, and, and the 117 who have been baptized this year, I would say it probably does. But does the community at large Do they care? I believe the answer to that is yes. I believe it would make a difference if we weren't here. But the reality of it is, if it becomes no, then we need to quit. We don't need to be a church that becomes a holy huddle where we just gather together and we're just comfortable in our own little box. We need to be people who are not willing to settle. We could settle. We could come to a place where, man, I can keep enough of you happy. We could just keep enough plates spinning. You keep giving just enough money. I keep getting a paycheck. We can keep our staff together. We keep doing what we're doing. And we could all be comfortable, nice and comfortable. But the reality of it is we didn't start this to be comfortable. We started it to see the kingdom grow. And we're not going to back down from that. We're going to keep doing that. And to be honest with you, um, um, sometimes as a leader, when you step out and you begin to go forward into the darkness, at times you get tired of being poked by people who say, you can't do that. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You just want this. You just want that. When your heart is, we want something for you, not from you. But the reality of it is we're not going to back down. We're coming out of a a message series that was about our identity in Christ. We're soldiers. We've been armed with the righteousness of Jesus, with the helmet of salvation, with the breastplate of righteousness, with our feet fitted with the readiness of a message that the world has got to hear. It's not time for us to be comfortable. It's time for us to advance like crazy people who love Jesus. That's what God's calling us to do. And we're not going to stop. We realize this on October 20th, we're announcing a new vision. We're rolling out a new vision for this church. It'll give a little more detail to one in one. And we're going to tell you where we feel like God's leading us because five years ago, almost five years ago, now it'll be five years, November 17th, 12 of us got together and we said, what does God want to do with this church? We came up with a vision of 2020, 80, that we would reach 2000 people by the year 2020 and that 80% would be in connect groups and serving. We reached 1380 in August. We believe we're shooting too low. We believe God's called us to greater things on October 20th. We're going to tell you what those are. And I believe this with all my heart, that God desires to do something through us 
that no one can look at and go, they're great. But then they see it and they go, God is powerful. God is amazing. And this is what it takes. It takes people who are heart and soul. It takes people who are willing to be a part of a community. Listen, Sunday morning, it's not about church and, and, and the body of Christ is not about gathering on Sunday morning. It's not about an experience. It's about life together. It's about people who are willing to live and do life together in community. It's about people who are willing to serve. Yes, even when we're tired. You got served by busy, tired people this morning. But people who know that my fatigue does not compare to the grace I received from Jesus. You sit here today because of people's sacrifice and giving. Their willingness to give to a vision that they believe in. And today I can tell you this, you have a leadership and a group of people who care for you. Who love you. Who want to see the gospel advance. I would tell you this, if we're not heart and soul, if we're not doing those four things, this church will not fulfill its purpose and neither will you. You cannot fulfill your purpose apart from those four things. But this is something I found this week. The staff pulled together some numbers for me. Right now, we're averaging the last couple of months, close to two months, about 1,150 people on Sunday. I would say we're right, right around that today, judging. You get kind of where you can sort of understand how many people are here. We've been averaging 1,150 people. 531 people are in connect groups. That's 46%. And we can say that is awesome, man. Our connect groups have more than doubled since last year. People are finally seeing community as important. And we can settle in that 46% of people, but that means 54% still aren't. Connectors, we have 1,150 people on average. 304 people are serving. 27% of people then are serving. Giving, we have 100 or 1,150 average, 307 or so are giving consistently. That's counting their children. That's husband, wife, and children who are giving consistently. That's about 27%. If we look at what heart and soul really is, all three of those things, out of 1,150 average, 155 people total counting husbands and wives are doing this. 13%. As I was looking at those numbers, I was like, God, what is it? It seems like it's, you know, I see something here. And and what I began to realize is the more things become less about us, the less interested we are in them. And we begin to see that, "Mm, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I was thinking about this though, with God having done so much through so few what would he do with 1,100, 1,200 people who were heart and soul for Jesus, heart and soul for each other, and heart and soul for the vision that he's given us? How many lives would be transformed through vessels that say, I surrender all to you? I told you, you can't fulfill your purpose without those four things. And I want to hit those four things real quick today. Um, the first one I want to hit is community. And I want to give you two words you can write down out beside community. And that is perseverance and purpose. I don't have time to go in depth. We'll go in depth with these things later. Um, and, and, but, but right now, I just want to sort of give you a broad stroke overview. These are the four things that we believe that, that are important for us. If we're heart and soul with the church um, and that they're important with us. The first one is to live in community, right? Perseverance and purpose. I think about community in the church somewhat like um, when I was growing up, we didn't go to church very often. But on Sunday afternoon, we would always go to my grandparents' house. And my mom had like six brothers and sisters. So all the family would come together and we'd all get together. And it's one of those things where when you get together with them, you don't even know everybody. You know what I mean? It's like every week it seemed like I met somebody. This is your aunt, you know, Myrtle. And she's kin to Uncle Pig, who was kin to, you know, so-and-so. And you're like, I have no idea, but I'm getting my cheek pinched. And I have now been brought into the chest of some woman. I have no clue who this is, and I'm not even sure exactly what's happening at this moment. And, and so it was always somebody new that was coming up, you know, and, and it was always like, that's my DNA pool? Like, what is up, right? 
There's always new people, but then we break off and we go into our, our smaller families. But what was amazing is like when we, even when we lived in those smaller families, how much the culture and the values of my grandparents influenced everybody else's lives. And it was almost like the church where we come together on Sunday and you walk in and like right now, there's a very good chance you're sitting next to somebody you don't know. At least in front, behind, or to the side of you. And I guarantee you, you can spit. Don't do it. But you could spit on someone right now who you do not know. That's not how you get them to come back, by the way. But you could because it's a big family. There are a lot of people who are here. And every week we break off into these small groups, these small communities of people that, that carry the same values and the same, the same culture as this huge family gathering. And what happens is as we begin to grow together as a family, we begin to break off into small groups of people. And those are called our connect groups, which you really need to be a part of to grow closer with other believers, to walk with, to have people, one, hold you accountable, but two, to help you persevere that first word I told you. We need to be in in intimate fellowship with one another. We need to be sharing Jesus and doing life together with one another. The scripture the Lord put on my heart with this is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And in this, the writer of Hebrews is talking about persevering in the faith. And he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is what we do in the community. You, we come in and we're encouraged. We're coming in, we're corrected. We're coming in and we're, we're told, let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep going. Jesus did this. Let's do this, right? And we get in our connect groups and we're challenged and we're encouraged to keep moving. And we're spurred on towards love and good deeds. And he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Don't stop going to, 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 the, to the weekly gathering. I hate to even call it church because church is what we know in the South as the building, the white building with the little steeple. And that's the church. You're the church. You're the people. Don't stop gathering together to worship Jesus, to be spurred on to love and good deeds. Get together with other believers and celebrate and be encouraged and grow in the faith. That's what he's telling us. Don't stop. You know, the first step for people away from God is a step away from the community of believers. Every single time somebody walks away from God, the first step is away from the community of believers. You know how we know this? Because we'll hear something going on with somebody and we'll call them and be like, hey man, we, we, we'd like to meet with you to help you, man. We hear, you know, da, da, da. and they're like, they won't return our call. Or you see them like in Walmart and they're like, Because they know, like I'm walking away. Don't stop gathering and being encouraged, persevering. The next one is purpose. Here's the reality. You cannot fulfill your purpose apart from the community of God. Jesus is always revealed through community. And I want you to see this out of John chapter 1. You're going to have to stick with me a little bit through this. But I want you to hear what John the Baptist says about Jesus. John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him, meaning I didn't know Jesus. I knew who he was. He was my cousin, but I didn't know he was the Messiah. But the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. So here's the reality. We hear people talk about the Trinity. This is one of those scriptures that points to the Trinity. That means that God is three, per, three, three persons, one God, right? Three distinct persons, one God. And you're, right here, we see that's the case because John is referring to Jesus's baptism. When Jesus came up out of the water, the father spoke over him and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, who was the son? Jesus, who was the one that showed John who Jesus was, the Holy Spirit. In that, te- that, that scripture, that text, we see the Trinity at work. We see the Father reveal the Son through His Spirit. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have community within themselves. So Jesus is never revealed to anyone apart from community, right? Because the Father reveals the Son through the Spirit. It's the same thing with you and I. When someone comes to Christ here on Sunday morning, it is because the Father has revealed the Son through His Spirit. The Spirit is seen most clearly in a community of believers. When that revelation that the Father has given us changes our heart and changes our lives so that we become like that city on a hill. 
a light that shines in the darkness that permeates culture, begins to change things as heart after heart and person after person has the Son of God revealed to them by the Father through the Spirit. Jesus is always revealed through community. Jesus is best revealed through community. We need to be a community that's revealing Him. We need to be a people that cares for each other, who actually cares for the other. Community. The second one, we serve God's church and His people. The second thing, if we're heart and soul, man, if we're going to do this, if, God is, if we're going to fulfill the potential and the purpose of our lives, which is this, let me tell you, I believe this, the purpose of our lives is to enjoy Jesus, to grow in the likeness of Jesus, and to spread the glory of Jesus throughout the earth. If we're going to do that, it's going to be through community. It's showing other people the reality of God. The second way is through serving God's church and his people. I would tell you, write down these two words, heart and hand, or hand and heart. Because here's the reality. Your hands will always desire to work at what has your heart. Always. Your hands will always follow your heart. Whatever you love is what you are going to work at. If we have no desire to serve God, if we have no desire to serve his people, and I would wonder, has God done a work in our heart? Has he worked in us? See, all of these things we're talking about today are, are signs that God has done a supernatural work in us. Our shirts say, serve people, serve people. That's not true. Serve people want to be served more. But when Jesus, who served us in an incredible way, when we recognize what he's done and he does something to our selfish heart, we realize I've got to serve others. Other people have to experience what I've experienced through the power of grace. Listen to this scripture. Philippians chapter 2. Again in verse 1. Paul says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And Paul's asking this as a, as a question. If you have, if you have, if you have. But the reality of it is, guys, he's not saying if you've received Jesus and then if Jesus gave you this. The real question is, if you've received Jesus, you, you have received this. So the question is this, have you received Jesus? Have you experienced his tender mercies, his compassion? Have you experienced fellowship with the Spirit? Paul's not questioning if you've received that, if you've received Christ. He's saying, have you received it? Have you? Has he touched your heart and changed your life in that way? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Listen to this first. I wore my boots today because this stomps all up on my toes, right? Verse five, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Whoa. Like anybody right now that you could say, I would, if I stood next to Jesus, you couldn't tell us apart. No. But he says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. What did Jesus do? He came and he washed feet. He came and he died for a people who could do nothing for themselves. Listen to this. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he was God, but he didn't even consider that something to be grasped because the only way his mission could be fulfilled is if he made himself subservient to the Father and carried out the will of God. And so he, he said, I'm not even going to consider myself equal. I'm going to come and humble myself and serve these people. Equality with God was not something to be grasped. But here's the problem for a lot of us. We think it is. And you say, no, I don't think equality with God is something to be grasped. But you live as though you are God. As if everything is given to serve you when it's given to serve him. That's not the heart of Jesus. That's not the attitude of Christ. Verse 7 says, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being made in human likeness. Made himself nothing. 
word made means he literally emptied. He took all of the, the divine rights and, and all that he deserved. And he said, I'm laying it to the side. I'm emptying myself of this. And I'm coming to earth in the form of a man. And I'm going to do what you can't do. I'm going to do it for you because you're never going to make it apart from me. And he emptied himself of all of that. And he began to serve broken humanity. And verse 8 says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's the thing that I know. Here's the thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You cannot have a revelation of what Jesus did on the cross for you and still refuse to serve other people. You can't. You cannot look into the eyes of a dying Savior with blood running down his face from the thorns that were pressed upon his brow. You cannot look upon his face that has spit all over it because of the Romans. Hashtag hate to be them one day, right? You cannot look upon that face. You can't look at a man who was innocent and yet was persecuted, yet was killed, yet took your sin and nails through his hands and his feet and a spear in his side who shed his blood. You cannot look that man in the eyes. You cannot look him in the eyes and say, I can't serve. We've had people come in and say, well, I'm called to teach. My gift is teaching. First of all, if you have to tell me what your gift is, it's probably not. Second, if you're too good to serve in the parking lot, If you're too good to clean a toilet, you probably won't ever stand on this stage. And you won't lead a connect group. Because the way leaders lead in the community of believers is the more responsibility you're given, the greater servant you become. You're like, well, you don't clean toilets. You want to bet I wipe one down today. When we see what Jesus has done for us, there's no way we can say, I don't want that for others. There's no way we can say, I won't do that for other people. Jesus did it for us. The third one is we give generously to his church. We give generously to his church. Listen, we're going to talk about everything that I know the Bible teaches about money. It's going to, we're going to do that in a few weeks. But today, I don't have time. Listen, I don't have time to go completely into that. But, but this is what I will tell you is when Jesus grabs a hold of your heart, he grabs a hold of your wallet. Jesus knew that the number one competitor for our heart would be money. The Bible talks about money more than heaven, hell, faith, prayer, anything. Why? Because God is a jealous God. He wants no idols between us and him. And he desires to remove those things. God does not ask us to give, to take from us, but to give to us. That is the heart of this church. If you do not believe that, if you don't think you can trust us with our with your money, then why in the world would you trust us with your spiritual life? Money is temporary. Your spiritual life is eternal. You need to be somewhere that you can trust your leadership. We're not here to take from you. We want freedom for you. For us to not talk about money, and I understand people get angry when I talk about money. People get angry. We had people leave the first service. I don't know if it was because I talked about money or because their kids started crying. I don't know. But I know that it gets on people's toes, right? It bugs us. But for me not to talk about money would be spiritual malpractice. It'd be like going to the doctor, the doctor diagnosing your problem, and then all of a sudden, he'd be like, I don't think I want to tell him that. They're going to die next week, but I don't think they need to know. Right? Or what about this? Man, if I tell them that, they're going to be upset. I can't tell them that. How big of a jerk would I be if I didn't tell you the thing that Jesus himself says is going to try to rob you of joy? It's going to rob you of, of, of living the, the, out of the blessings of God. We love you too much not to do that. The thing I can tell you is God's always taking care of our needs. But people always vote with their wallets. It, it, it's, it's crazy. Somebody gets mad about something, I'll say something that, it's, that they don't like, and so they'll quit giving. Okay. We made it. God takes care of us. Jesus is our provider. He's going to provide for us. This is for you. This is for the kingdom. This is to build his church. The body of believers be a glorious testimony to the power of God. The two, the two words I would have you write down for this is God and glory. 
the first question I would ask you is, who is your God? Who is your God? But before we answer that, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's the reality. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can look at our checkbook and figure out who our God is. We absolutely can. And I understand some of us, you're like, I I don't have anything to give. In fact, some of us are still paying for our past, right? We made stupid decisions with our money. I know. I've been there. I have been there. And and, and so we're still paying for our past. You've all experienced that where you went and you saw something. You're like, I got to have that. And you bought it. And then like 30 minutes later, you're like, what did I, why? Right? Or the next week, you're like, you're done with it. And you're like, why did I buy that? And I got to pay for it for two years. But we start somewhere. We take a step of faith and we start somewhere. The second question is, whose glory are you living for? Who is your God? Whose glory are you living for? Are you building your glory or the glory of Jesus? You know, as far as I can tell, money is the only thing that God really says, test me in this. In Malachi 3, um, verses 6 through 10, he says, test me in this, try me in this. He says, you, know, you ask, how do we rob God? He says, in your tithes and offerings. He says, test me in this. Bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. You're giving to the storehouse. And we're going to talk about New Testament giving and we'll address grace giving. We're going to talk about all of that in a few weeks. The thing I'll tell you is the reason that most of us don't know that God is faithful is because we've never given him opportunity to show it. God is faithful. We believe this so much that, that we've did, done this thing where um, we wrote a 90-day giving challenge, and it should really be called a 90-day faithfulness challenge. You can sign up for it. You want to take it. You want to do it. Listen, it, it, it's, it's a daily reading and a daily prayer that takes you through the Bible to show you God's faithfulness in his word in hopes that as the word comes into you, the Bible is true. It begins to produce faith. Then we'll begin to take steps of faith and see that God is faithful. You can sign up for it at Next Steps. You can go online and sign up for it. I would challenge you to do this. I would encourage you to do this, to see the faithfulness of God. I would beg you to do this, to see the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. You can trust him. But here's the thing that I realize is that even with us telling you, most of you will not do it. I saw this in a better story. As we went through all of that stuff and we we're doing all of these things and, 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 and like, I promise you, if you'll do this, it'll change your life. And hardly anybody did it. Just go home and write this stinking letter, right? Do it. Trust me. Nobody did. And we wonder, like, why can't I say that the truth has set me free? Because we won't apply it. But God's called us to be about his glory. It leads me to the last one. Number four, we submit to the authority of the church. If the first one ruffled your feathers, this one is really going to get you. If the first one or that, that last one didn't ruffle your feathers, this one will. Right? Because nobody wants to submit to authority. Look at our heroes like, like John Wayne, right? He wasn't submitting to nobody, right? You need to do this. <laughs> Rambo. Rambo, you are not expendable. You remember that? Rambo was like, I don't need anybody, right? Let's go in and take on a whole nation. An individualism. That's what our country, we love it. You know, Liam Neeson, I wouldn't mind being Liam Neeson if he was like the, really the dude in Taken. I'm just going to say that honestly. Because that dude was awesome, right? We love that. We love it. Yes, we love it. And so we, we, we see that and we have to understand, but it especially becomes true in church. We simply don't want to allow our leaders to lead us. And here's the thing I would tell you. I'm not telling you, I'm not standing up here today because I know, listen, I know a lot of people have been hurt by spiritual leadership. I know that. I was, I have, I understand it. And for you to trust a leader, especially in church, is hard to do. For a lot of you, the only thing you know about church and church leaders are the ones you see on CNN and Fox News, right? Right? who run off with the secretary, the money, and, you know, 
whatever else. And, and that's what we think of church leadership. And so we don't trust. We, 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 we doubt it. Listen, this is, this is all I know to tell you. I'm not telling you to do everything I'm saying. I'm not telling you to follow our staff unless we follow the example of Christ. But I believe 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 is true. And that as I follow Jesus, follow me. And if we tell you to do something that's not according to the word, don't. If you don't trust us, then here's the thing I would tell you with all the love in my heart, with everything I can tell you. If you don't trust my heart, if you don't trust the leadership's heart, find some leaders that you can trust. Because it's too important. It's too important for us not to be in a place that we trust those who are leading us. That we can look at it and go, I trust that I I believe he has heard God and we're going to follow him. We're going to be heart and soul. We're going to fulfill the potential that God's given us and the potential of the church because we're going to run together and no matter what comes, hell or high water, we're going to keep going. And we lock arm in arm and we become an army of soldiers, onward Christian soldiers. Can I get an amen? And then we run towards the gates of hell with water pistols backed by the power of Jesus. And when the, all the forces of hell come against us, we still prevail because not even the gates of hell will stop his church. But if I, if I don't follow Christ, don't follow me. And if you don't trust my heart, listen, right now, there are probably at least by this time, we used to say like 122, by this time, there's probably 130 churches in Bullitt County. There's got to be a good one, right? Just the odds, right? The odds are there's a good one. And in fact, there are a lot of good ones. If you don't trust my heart, find somebody's heart that you do trust and run with them. Give everything you've got to build the kingdom with them, right? Be heart and soul. Go all in and change the world. For the glory of God. But I can tell you this. Those who are called here. We're going to run. We're not going to back down. We're going to continue to push. And we're going to be heart and soul. And we're going to be a community. That shines like a beacon of light. Listen. We're not perfect. Let me, let me say this. We went from seven people. To 1,380 in four and a half years. We are clumsy at times. We are learning. I can tell you this. Every morning I walk into my office, when I open the door, I'm like. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'll be honest. I've never pastored a church this size. To be completely honest, I've never pastored another church. I have no idea sometimes. The staff looks at it. They're like, what do you think about this? I'm like. What do you think? I don't know. Let's do this. Okay. You know, but the reality of it is, this is, what, this is how we try to lead. We try to hear Jesus and follow him. That's all we know to do. That's all we know to do. If you look at how this church came into being, we did it backwards. I think Jesus is trying to say, if I can do something through those idiots, I can do something through you too. Because we did not do anything according to the book. I didn't read a church planning book until we were like a year and a half, two years into the church plan. And I was like, oh, dang. Ooh, we messed that up. Stepped on that landmine. There was a book called 10 Landmines. We hit them all. Every single one. I'm not telling you we're perfect, but I'm telling you our church loves Jesus. Our pastors love Jesus. Our staff loves Jesus. And our staff loves you. And we want the best for you. And we want to see God's purpose fulfilled in you. And I hope that you can see that in our hearts. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Okay, that last part's really confusing. I know, I understand. But the first part, he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. In other words, remember the ones who preached the gospel to you, who preached a pure, un, 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 or just pure gospel. I don't even have another word for it. The pure gospel to you. The leaders who pointed you back to Jesus. 
and Jesus only. And don't follow these people who are trying to point you to other things other than Christ. He's saying it's good for you. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If someone begins to preach something else, you need to leave. That news for me. We're not preaching Jesus. You need to find a place that does. He's saying, but those leaders who are following Jesus, who are pointing you to Jesus, follow them. If their way of life looks good to you, follow their example. And he's basically saying it's a good thing for you to have godly leaders in your life. Not so that they can lord it over you, but so that they can point you continuously to Jesus. Verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you, right? I stressed the one part in there, I understand. Godly leadership is good. Leadership that will point you to Jesus is good. Leadership that will tell you tough truths is good. I thought about today, I was like, you know, this is kind of one of those Sundays where Jesus, he had all these people following him and all these people were coming around him and and the disciples like, this is awesome. We're about to establish a kingdom. We're on the ground floor. It's going to be great. And then Jesus stands up and he goes, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And the disciples like, what? What? And then all these people started leaving and like, Jesus, man, you got to tone that eating your flesh stuff down, man. We don't even know where that came from. I mean, we look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We look back and we see that he's talking and referring and foreshadowing communion and his sacrifice. But, but, but for them, they're like, eat him? What? And I kind of feel like that's one of those Sundays where, man, listen, we can draw a crowd. We can draw a crowd. We can bring people in. But so can Katy Perry. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't mean lives are being changed. I'm not willing to settle just to draw a crowd. I want to see people's hearts change. And, and listen, we need leadership who are wi- is willing to tell us truths even when they sting. I want you to know, I have people in my own life who will tell me truths even when they sting. There's one sitting there. I can point to several of them. There's, they're all over the place, right here, around me, right now. It's kind of intimidating because they're analyzing every word I say and they'll call me on it. Not really, it's not that bad. But they do. I've got people in my life who they will get in my face and say, I don't think that was the way to handle that. I think you were preaching angry. I'm not preaching angry. I promise. I'm not. I'm preaching with passion because we want this for you. And we want this for the kingdom so badly because of what Jesus has done in our heart. And I know, guys, the last five years or almost five years have been crazy awesome but to go with the scripture that says you ain't seen nothing yet that's not a scripture that's not really a scripture that's a song that song yeah i don't think we've seen anything yet i believe god's just beginning I believe God four years ago put this in our hands to say, so that we could come back to it five years later and go, how faithful has he been? You will never get to the end of your life and regret having served Jesus. And I can tell you this, when our journey is done, and I don't think it'll be until Jesus comes back, we'll have no regrets either. But our hearts will be filled with joy having known that we did everything God created us to do. My heart for you today, my challenge to you today is to ask my heart and soul, does Jesus have my heart? Am I where I'm supposed to be? The answer to those two things is yes. Now let's go. Let's get after it. There are people who need to know the Lord. There are people who right now, if they die, they will die in their sins and they will go to hell. Yes, it is a real place. But we have the cure. It's been put in these vessels, these jars of clay. God has deposited his spirit into us and a message into us that the world has got to hear. And I'm willing and I desire and my heart's desire is to spend the rest of my life pointing people 
to him. And my prayer is that you'll join us. I'm going to pray, and this is what I want to do. When I pray, close us out. If you don't know him, but your heart's been stirred, Jesus has spoken to your heart today, and you know I need him. I need Jesus. This is what I'm going to do. When I pray, I'm going to ask you to walk to my left, your right, and there's going to be prayer people. They're, they're already moving to pray with you and meet you there. And today is the day of salvation for you. You come to Christ and let us pray with you and let you help you take your next step. Listen, you're sitting with somebody. Maybe you came with somebody today and, and, and they've been coming. Maybe they haven't, but you don't want to go by yourself. You grab them by the arm and y'all stand up together when I pray and you walk out these doors and let us welcome you into the family. Let us pray with you and help you take your next steps. I know it's intimidating. I know it's scary. But for you, it may be time. For others of us, there's something in our life. There's a hindrance. There's an obstacle. There's something that is simply hindering us from being able to pursue and follow Jesus, to walk and go heart and soul after Jesus. Today, you may have realized yourself that there is an idol in my life. There's something I'm worshiping other than God. We want to help you remove that by revealing Jesus to you more clearly. Let us pray with you. Let us walk with you. Bad people don't need prayer. Good people don't need prayer. All people need prayer. When I pray, you just move. Let us pray with you. Let us walk with you. This is a community of believers. It's not just an auditorium. The church is not where we meet. It is the people who meet together. Let us walk with you as a community. I'm going to pray you move. I pray to God you'll move. Lord, thank you so much for our time together today. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you would remove every idol from our lives, that we could have a pure relationship with you. God, do what only you can do in us. Change our hearts. Create new desires. Work in us, Lord. Lord, create a community of believers right here, God, that, that, that would be able to shine your light brightly in a dark world. To be able to care for the hurting around us. To be able to care for the person that sits next to us at work. To be able to care for the people who are lost and without hope because they don't have you, the true hope. God, I pray that our hearts would be, be, be just, just created to serve. That we look at your example, that you washed, our, washed the feet of stinky, nasty men. God, that we would do the same. Let us serve you, God. Let us serve each other. Let us not stop encouraging one another. And let us look at your example and follow you, God. I pray that we would give generously. I pray that we would not be under a curse of materialism. And that that, God, would not be what hinders us from following you. But that we would lay it all at your feet and trust you with it. God, I pray that, that, God, we would follow your lead. And as, God, we follow your lead, we would also follow those you've put in our lives to point us to you. God, let us run with this vision, God. I pray that Habakkuk 2.2 would be true. God, we have written the vision. We have made it plain. And I pray that those who have heard it and those who read it, God, would run with it. God, give us courage and strength. Anytime we do something for you, Lord, we come against obstacles and against opposition. But God, you are greater. You are greater, God. And we claim that promise today and believe it in our hearts. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for being good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.